Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how it can help us in our lives. As I'm recording this introduction, I am fresh off of a trip from Houston. I left Houston in the evacuation from the Hurricane Rita that took place in September of 2005. Just before that, Katrina had hit. So many tragedies had taken place. On the anniversary in 2005 of 9-11, I presented this very special lesson, When Tragedy Strikes. Why are there tragedies? And how should we as Christians live and deal with those tragedies? Let me invite you, open your Bible, and let's learn what to do when tragedy strikes. Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, four years ago today. It's one of those events that gets locked into that part of our mind that remembers things we wish we could forget. Pearl Harbor, assassination of JFK or Martin Luther King Jr., explosion of the Challenger, the bombing of the Oklahoma Federal Building. I remember with the Challenger, I was in ninth grade. I had been in the high school band hall during the first period of the day and was working my way back. And somebody came out of the junior high building and told us about the Challenger. Ran into the library to see it on TV. With the Oklahoma Federal Building, 1995, Marita and I were actually at the Natchez Trace State Park, just up the road. And we went to church in the middle of the week during our honeymoon on Wednesday night and found out there about what happened. On Tuesday morning, September 11th, I was actually had just left the Early Bird Cafe, had a cup of coffee, was on my way to the office, and I heard on the radio that an airplane had just flown into one of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. And I thought to myself, oh no, some air traffic control guy is going to be in big trouble. And then moments later, in the middle of Elton John's Benny and the Jets, another announcement came in saying that a plane had flown into the other tower of the World Trade Center. And I thought, oh no, this was not an air traffic control mistake. I got to the office, I called one of my elders at the time, this was in Texas obviously, and his name was David Rogers, and he said he had just heard something about the Pentagon. And I thought to myself, oh no, rumors of full-scale attack are beginning. And then found out just moments later on the television that it wasn't a rumor that in fact it happened. And the rest of it is just kind of a swirl of emotion, fear and shock and anger, uh, a blur of watching all kinds of images on TV for the following days. What a horrific event when tragedy strikes. And here we are four years later. Today has been renamed Patriot Day by President Bush. And we remember the tragedy that happened. And then today we're also smack in the middle of dealing with another tragedy that's just occurred as we look at the Hurricane Katrina. And all the things that have happened surrounding that and the tragedies, whether by natural disaster or man-made tragedies that have been going on through this, and as we look at all of those things, we begin to wonder exactly how are we supposed to deal with it when tragedy strikes. 
what should we as Christians do? What should we believe about this sort of thing? And I'd like for us just to consider for a few minutes four lessons that we can gain as we consider what we should do and how we should live when tragedy strikes. Before we do that, would you bow with me, please? Almighty God in heaven, we are humbled before you. As we consider the tragedies that we have faced in our lives, we recognize that the power demonstrated in those is nothing in comparison with your power. And Father, we are amazed and in awe of you. And we're thankful that despite your great power, despite your holiness and righteousness, that you have looked down upon us and given us mercy and blessing and grace through your Son, Jesus, who died for us, who shepherds us into your eternal home. And Father, we pray that you strengthen us to maintain our faith in you when tragedy strikes. Help us to love you and to pass your word along to others that they also might be comforted in the face of tragedy. And Father, we ask that you would watch over us and protect us. We pray that you would make a distinction between your people and the world. That those around us will be able to see that you do hold up your people. That you provide for us as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we pray that we'll be able to pass that message of comfort on to the world and draw others into your family. Father, we pray that you forgive us for we've sinned. And we pray that you would help us to overcome the tempter. Help us to recognize our errors, not to rejoice in them, but to sorrow and to turn from them. And Father, we're so thankful that despite the heavy price that it took to take our sins away, that you, you laid out that plan, as Ron pointed out earlier, that it was in your mind from eternity. And you worked it out through your Son, and we're amazed and thankful. Help us, God, as we look at your Word today to understand and to apply it to our lives in our own personal tragedies or in tragedies of the magnitude of 9-11 or Katrina. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. The very first lesson that I think we need to recognize is that when it comes to tragedies, God may not have planned it, but He can still use it. One of the saddest things that I believe occurred during the tragedy of 9-11, and I know is going to occur during this tragedy of Katrina, is the numerous funerals that take place. There are going to be preachers that are going to say things like this. We don't know why God chose to end so many lives in such a tragic way, but we just need to trust God because He has His plan and He knows best. Have you ever heard anything like that in a funeral? As though God Himself set September 11, 2001 as the day in which he was going to orchestrate an attack on the World Trade Center and destroy those buildings and kill those people. One of the things that we need to recognize is that while God is certainly a force in this world, the Bible has demonstrated that, that God has set up a world in which he is not the only acting force. Yes, God is an acting force. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Bible there says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God has not just set the world in place, wound it up, and now is just watching it from afar to see what's going to happen. God works in this world, and He makes sure that everything works together for the ultimate good of those who love Him. God is an acting force, but He is not the only acting force. Do you remember 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. God has allowed Satan to come into this world and Satan is an acting force. You'll remember that God created a good world. A world that at the end of every day of creation He was able to look around and say, this is good. But Satan came into the world and ruined it. God is not to blame for the tragedies. Satan is. But it wasn't just Satan. You'll remember man had a hand in that because God has also allowed a world in which He gives us free will. And we're allowed to decide to choose how we're going to behave. Look in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18 to me is such a powerful passage as it talks about the free will of man and how God has even created a world in which He's given us a free will and where in which our free will might even impact the way God Himself is going to act. In Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at verse 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom, excuse me, concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom, excuse me, to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I'll think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. God allows for the free will of man. And men might just do some very tragic and horrid things such as mounting attack upon our nation. But we also need to realize one more acting force. If you look in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11, there the Scripture says, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Time and chance. God has created the world and it works in a certain way and you realize that in this world there are weather patterns. And it's not that God reached down and said, I'm going to start a hurricane here. It's just we've got these forces and time and chance overtakes us all. God is not the only acting force in our world. And so everything that happens does not necessarily get chalked up to God's specific plan or will. Is it possible that the tragedies that we're discussing are God's judgment on a society that is ever more decadent? Certainly it's possible. But without Scripture to explain that to us, how could we say it? With surety. Now, in all biblical honesty, we do have to admit this. Job chapter 2. In Job chapter 2, I think we find a very interesting passage. You'll remember the story of Job. Satan went to God and said, basically, I want to attack Job. And God let him. All the problems that happened to Job in chapter 1, Satan was the one who caused it. But God has has this to say about it in Job chapter 2 and verse 3. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil, and he still holds to his integrity, although you incited 
me against him without cause. God says that he was to blame for what was going on to, to Job. Now, we know, we've seen the story, Satan was the one who was doing it, and yet God says, you have incited me against him. What is God pointing out? God's pointing out that he could have stopped it. He allowed it. And in that sense, and in that sense alone, do we recognize, could God have stopped 9-11? Yes, he could. Could God have stopped Katrina? Yes, he could. Could God have stopped all of our personal tragedies? He most certainly could. But we need to recognize that God has not set up a world in which He ends and stops all tragedies. He's set up a world in which Satan acts, in which we act, and in which time and chance occurs. And He is not obligated to stop every tragedy just because it causes us pain and suffering. But I'll tell you what He has obligated Himself to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God has pointed out that He has limited. And He will limit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure. God, while He allows Satan to act, and the free will of man to act, and time and chance to act, has promised us, that while He will not stop every tragedy from occurring, He will make sure that nothing happens that we can't handle and overcome spiritually. What a great comfort that is. But as we said, while God may not have planned any of these tragedies, the great comfort is that God is powerful enough to use all of them in His plan. Look again at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, remember what it said. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who, are, who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. God does have an ultimate plan to bring good about for those who love Him. And what is most amazing is that God, despite the fact that He allows Satan to act, despite the fact that He gives us the free will to act however we want to, despite the fact that He's created a world in which time and chance works, is so powerful that He does not allow any of that to overcome His ultimate plan to bring good upon those who love Him. And that ultimate good, of course, is getting us to heaven. God has a plan to get those who love Him to heaven. And even a tragedy, the magnitude of 9-11 or of Katrina, cannot stop that plan. In fact, God can take something of that magnitude and bring it into His plan and use it to help us grow and to help those who love Him go to heaven. What a powerful God we serve. The second lesson that we need to keep in mind is that we have a shepherd. Look in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this shepherd's psalm, the text says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as shepherds would lead their flocks along through the valleys up to the, top, the tabletops in the summer, where they would find their food and their grass, as they took that travel up the valley, it was in the shadow of death. They faced all kinds of dangers. The dangers of, of flash floods and storms. The dangers of poisonous plants. The dangers of predators. So many things that they had to face that their shepherd would carry them through to get them to that, that lush feeding ground on the tabletops in the mountains. And the shepherd would take them. The same is true for us. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There are dangers that surround us. There are folks who would attack us. There are... Uh, Satan would tempt us. We walk through that valley of the shadow of death, but as with those sheep, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those images of the presence of the shepherd comforted them. We have that shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 talks about our shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We have that shepherd and his rod and his staff can comfort us. For the sheep, the rod and the staff those were implements of punishment, discipline, instruction, inspection, guidance, rescue. And the sheep were not afraid of those instruments. The sheep were comforted by those instruments because they realized what the shepherd could use them for. And we have that rod and that staff of our shepherd here in His Word. His Word helps us overcome sin and steers us clear of danger. It teaches us how to overcome the tempter. It draws us closer together and closer to God. It helps save us from our own undoing and guides us on to heaven. It's no wonder then that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, as Paul was giving what he believed to be his final words to the Ephesian elders, said in Acts 20 and verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here is our rod and staff, and it can comfort us. So many people say in the wake of things like 9-11 or Katrina that, you know, there are just no words of comfort to be had in a time like this. 
And while it is true that there are no words that you can just flip a switch and immediately take away all the emotions of what we're dealing with, we as Christians have a shepherd and we do have words of comfort. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Our shepherd is with us constantly. He doesn't abandon us. Somebody might say, well, if He didn't abandon us, why do these things happen? These things happen because that's the world we live in, but our shepherd is still with us. How many people, though, have been trusting in the shepherd of money and material things, and now those things are gone? But our shepherd is still here and strengthens us and carries us through until we make it to heaven. What words of comfort. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Words of comfort for those who are in Christ. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what kind of distress or tribulation or trouble or trauma comes upon us, God is with us and holds us in His hand and is guiding us to heaven. And we've got to remember that what's going on in this life is not about what's in this life. What's important is the life that's to come. And God is with us, getting us there, no matter what we endure here. What words of comfort. And in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, seeing the people, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. What a comfort that we have a shepherd. And do not have to be distressed and dispirited. But this leads us to our next point. Is that one of the things these tragedies teach us is that we've got to help people who are shepherdless come to the shepherd. How many people who died in the fall of the towers or who have died in the wake of Katrina how many of them had Christian friends who never talked to them about Jesus? How many of them had friends that always wanted to and always planned on, but now is just not the right time? And I'm going to get to that someday. But then someday was taken away. How many people continue to be around us among our friends and our family 
through our sheep without a shepherd, distressed and dispirited. And we're not saying anything to them. Yes, I recognize that evangelism is a step-by-step process. It's not going to work if you just walk up to somebody and start banging them about the head and neck with the Bible. I understand all that. But what are we doing to get that message out to the folks who are going to die in the next tragedy? There in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into His harvest. There are all kinds of people out there that need and and want the gospel even if they don't know that's what they want. They just need us to be workers getting it out. I'll I'll tell you, it's it's great seeing the community as it's it's doing so much to help folks that are... uh, We sent out the email that what we heard about folks needing school supplies and office supplies and all those things are great and we need to be doing those kind of things. But I tell you what, we can get all those kids in school and we can get all kinds of folks back into their houses and if they die and still go to hell, what good does it do? We need to bring folks to the shepherd. And finally... Our lives go on, but we look for a better place. Whenever I see personal tragedies or tragedies of this magnitude, I'm always reminded of a poem. It's, it's really it's one of my favorite poems by Robert Frost. The name of it is Out, Out. It's a, it's, a, it's a great little poem. It's a disturbing poem. It's about a young boy who was cutting wood up in Vermont. And the saw grabbed on a piece of wood and jumped back and chopped his hand off. And he dies. And the final line in the poem talks about his family and friends and co-workers that were there, and it says, And they, since they were not the ones dead, turned back to their affairs. And as disturbing as that may sound to us, in reality, that is the truth. No matter how close we are to the tragedy, when we're not the ones dead, our lives go on. We still eat. We still have to sleep. We still have to get up in the mornings and go to work. Merchandise still has to be bought and sold. Things go on. You know, think about this. We're all wrapped up in this tragedy of Katrina. How many of you were surprised when I popped up the 9-11 picture? Because our lives have gone on over the past four years and some of us probably didn't even remember what today was. Because our lives go on. But we look for a better place. We continue on in this world and we recognize that tragedies will come and tragedies will go and we'll keep plodding along, but we are looking for something better. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 tells us in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, but according to His promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We've got a new order that's coming in which righteousness 
dwells. And we can look to that with hope, recognizing that no matter what goes on in our world, we've got something else better that we're looking for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where hurricanes come through and destroy. I added that last bit in. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. We've got, we live in a world where Natural disasters destroy and take our things away, but we're looking forward to a world where nothing can take our treasures away. And we can look forward to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What a comfort that is. We're looking for something better. And when we face these tragedies, as awful and horrific as they are, they are a reminder that we don't like this place. And we want the better. And it can help us look forward to that and realize how much we really want. And it can help sever us from this world so that we'll not be distracted by the things down here. Why be distracted by these things when a hurricane can come and take it away from us. Or a thief can come in and steal it. Or crazed religious fanatics can bomb it. We're looking for something better. And let's keep our minds focused on that. That heavenly country. The better place. And as we consider all this, we remember Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 12. As it points out to us that moreover man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. 9-11, who thought that was going to happen that day? Even with Katrina coming in the Gulf, who knew the damage that it would wreak? I'll tell you what, this week, despite those tragedies, people have died. White people have died. Black people have died. Hispanic people have died. Asian people have died. Old people have died. Young people have died. Men have died. Women have died. Labor has died. Management have died. Somebody just like you died this week. And this upcoming week, it could be you. The question is, are you ready? I hope this lesson was beneficial to you in learning how we Christians should deal with it when tragedy strikes. Let's remember the four lessons we learned today. Lesson number one, God may not have planned the tragedy, but God is certainly powerful enough to use every tragedy within His big plan to help those who love Him. Lesson number two, 
We have a shepherd who can comfort us, and we need to lean on him and turn to him. Lesson number three. We need to look around and find those who are shepherdless and bring them to that shepherd of comfort. And lesson number four. We've got to remember that no matter how close the tragedy was to us, our lives go on, but we're looking for a better place in which tragedy never strikes. If you have any questions about dealing with tragedy, about what the Word of God says, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson, may I encourage you to go to that website? Again, it's www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you can download, both in outline and audio format. You're free to use them in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.